Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's show, we have Alistair. He is the London Chair of the Bike Night Board. Uh, but before that, hi Jack. Hello David. How are you? Very well. Me. Go on. So we're in person today, which is always lovely and a it treat. Is. It's a beautiful day. Last, if you remember, last time we were sat in this spot, it was chucking it down with rain. So the difference is lovely. Yeah, yeah. We like to try and stay outside when we record, just so as to not annoy everyone in the establishment we're in. And also because you know we need to edit this show because we're both cretins, mm. it makes it easier to edit when there's a bit of white noise in the background. Oh, okay, well, insights into the show there. A little bit of podcast secrets for everyone. Yeah, everyone asks, how do you run a successful podcast? Record outside. <laughs> now, Jack, I, I'm having an Earl Grey tea. Yes, you what are. What is the significance of an Earl Grey tea? I walked past the Earl Grey Monument in Newcastle on Tuesday, Wednesday morning, Tuesday night. How, <laughs> did, you, how, did, you, how did you like my hometown? Do you know what? I was all ready and willing to go out there and be like, oh, this is no better than Colchester, Dave. Come on, man. It's beautiful. It's lovely. And I think... What really cemented me, uh, cemented my opinion that it was a lovely place full of lovely people was the fact that I was a little bit drunk on Tuesday night after a big work event. And <laughs> so you had the beer goggles on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and a friend and I were walking to, to, to Munchies at school to get his cheesy chips. And um, we walked past this sort of like poster shop. And in the front window of the poster was a picture of young Al Pacino, his mug shot when he got arrested when he was about 18, 19. And I've always tried to say, I mean, I get told I look like Howard Wolowitz, Alan Partridge, Russell Kane. I get no one good, basically. So I adopted this myself that I look like a young Al Pacino. Alan Partridge is a bit harsh. I know, it's very harsh. Not as harsh as Wolowitz, though. Go on. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I'm there sitting in front of this, this picture of Al Pacino. Uh, and I've got my friend Alex to ask passers-by, who also half-cut drunk, do I look like Al Pacino, the young Al Pacino? Every single Geordie said yes. And I was like, I love this city. They're finally, people are finally agreeing with me that I look like a young Al Pacino. So yeah, I would go back in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Well, look, for so many reasons, Newcastle is Mecca. Yep. Um, yeah, I saw a Mecca bingo there, about eight of them actually. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but guess what else happens in Newcastle in early October? Uh, uh, should I know this? Fight night. Ah! These aren't even tenuous links anymore. We're so good at it. Happens in London, mm-hmm. many other places across the UK. As you're about to discover, Bike Night also happens in Newcastle. Mm. Which, to be fair, I think is a bigger charitable undertaking than Bike Night in London in October. Because I grew up in the North East. Yeah. It's cold. It's it is cold. It's colder. I mean, I was just saying before we came on, it was a lovely day in Newcastle yesterday, but it was about four or five degrees cooler. So mm. in the winter, you can, that's nearly double figures, that right? That was probably still described as Kluis. Oh, sun's out, but you Southerners didn't expect to see it today. <laughs> Two did, days I did there. Say on Twitter, please don't do a faux Geordie accent. It's really good though, isn't no, it's it? Not. It is. It is really it is good. Not, mate, I'm sorry. Anyway, <laughs> Bike Night is an incredible charitable event mm. supporting action for children. Alistair is the UK. Sorry, the UK, the London chair. Mm-hmm. Um, his story is actually quite personal. I'm not going to go into yeah. details. We want you to listen to the interview. Yeah. But do stay tuned. Afterwards, myself and Jack will share some comments uh, about this interview and by night. So today we're talking to Alistair. 
Um, Alistair, you work at DT, at DT Squared, but you're also, I, get, I need to make sure that I get this right, are you the chair of the London Bike Light Board? I am, that's absolutely right. So um, I, I look after a team of people who support Action for Children hosting the Bike Night event in London uh, each year. Uh, and Bike Night event in London is now one of, um, I think, 12 or 13 sleep pounds around the country. We've got representation actually in uh, Northern Ireland, England, Scotland and Wales. So before we get into kind of what bike night is, that chair role is completely voluntary. Absolutely. Uh, so it'd be interesting, first of all, to know a bit more about you and what you do in a, in a professional capacity yeah. and your role at DT Squared, and then how you've come to get involved in bike night. So I've, I've, I've been doing the DT Squared job for a very short amount of time. I've been doing bike night for 12 years. DT Squared is a small data consultancy. Uh, I think you know people today um, are, are struggling with the the ramifications of the volumes of data that we, we've been churning out as a as, as, as a population now. The fact that organisations are becoming uh, much less hierarchic, much more uh, autonomous in terms of their decision making structures, and much more data driven is a very popular thing. A lot of that is built on relatively shaky foundations, and you know there's a number of people trying to solve that. We are at the forefront of trying to, you know, smooth people's paths to understanding their business by organising, organising their data. That's what DT Square does. I ended up in that in quite a circuitous route. I joined um, a bank, uh, NatWest at the time, uh, as a graduate trainee. I did a lot of uh, fairly technology-centric roles for, for, for many years, although always with a very, very heavy business bent to them. Mm. Uh, and I left, I left RBS after being uh, Chief Information Officer of the International Banking Division in 2015, and I ran a software company for three years, uh, which was listed and needed turning around and preparing for sale. So your heritage is, is technology? My heritage is technology. As is Bite Night's as, heritage. As, as is Bite Night. We, we, we struggle with it. The Bite in Bite Night is spelled B-Y-T-E, which as everybody will hopefully realise is, 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 is the computer memory type of Bite. Um, but it's, it's a corporate fundraising mm. event now. It happened to be started by a group of people working in the tech industry, and that's its tech heritage. And I guess that's how I came to be involved when I was working in the investment bank as a senior technologist in RBS. So, so if we rewind 12 years, mm. well, Bite Night's been going for 21 years. So We've done 21 sleep outs. This is the 22nd year. Right, okay. So you kind of got involved in Bite Night almost halfway through its, its story. What happened? What was that moment that kind of made you aware of what was going on and, and, and get involved? So I, th I think the way almost everybody has got involved with Bite Night. So um, former boss of mine contacted me, said, I've, I've been roped into this sleep out. We're spending a night outside. We're raising money for awarenessness and funds for youth homelessness. I need your help. I need mm. you to come and sleep and raise some money. Uh, and I did. Um, you know, he's a great chap and I, I, liked, I liked him a lot. And it was a good cause. In the process of that, when you're taking part in bite night, obviously there's the sleep out itself, which is which is a really great evening. We'll talk about that in a little while. But you you get you get um, involved in the process. It, it, it's about a six month long journey from you know the, the initial sort of kickoff uh, through the um, you know the, the, the sort of some of the fundraising, the communication with the Action for Children team, and I met and heard from young people that had been affected by homelessness. And, and what struck me and still strikes me today and makes me come back year after year is, is the sheer ordinariness of it all. There are a number of people that are affected by homelessness 
because they've been involved with the care system and it has a hard stop. And there are a number of people that suffer relationship breakdowns that are, you know, some of the most troubled backgrounds and you, you'd think that that would happen. There are an enormous number of people who are just teenagers that make really quite poor decisions and end up in very, very, very dangerous situations. And the fabulous thing about Action for Children is, is a lot of their projects are designed at that early intervention, at trying to make a difference before anything catastrophic happens and getting a young person's life back on. And, and from a personal perspective, it just resonated with me. I mean, my childhood was fine. I went to a, a very normal school. I got a mediocre selection of A-levels. My mother had a, a very, very serious drink problem. She died very young and her relationship with my father was very, very difficult. And it created a huge amount of tension at home. And there were a number of times when I could easily have left. Um, I found myself at the epicenter of a storm and as I said teenagers don't make good decisions and, mm. and I felt I was blamed for a lot of this and, and there's a number of occasions that I, I could have walked out and it just occurred to me I didn't because of you know important other role models in my life teachers and people that helped me at that time if they hadn't been there would there have been an action for children project to help me and that made me think and it made me think really really hard. And over the years I've been involved, every year I come back, I meet someone else who, whose story amazes me and I find, I find inspiring both from a project perspective, or the mm. project worker perspective, but the young people themselves. So that's how I've been involved for 12 years. I, I suppose that project thing is quite interesting to, to get into because if you give money to a cause, you might go, actually for children, oh yeah, it looks like a great cause, I'll give money. Or if you're, if you're deciding that, hang on a minute, I, I want to get involved and I want to raise money, actually how that money gets to work and helps those people, I suppose, opens up the opportunity to talk about some of those individual stories. Because I, I know before we, we hit record, we were talking about the fact that uh, a third of youth homelessness uh, comes from the care system. Um, I, I, think, I think that's right. That's, that's right. Yeah. So, okay. and, and, and then you've got this problem that you've got, what, 83,000 young people a year experiencing homelessness. So yeah. is, it, is it going towards the care system? Is it going towards people on the streets? How does that money actually help people? So Action for Children, we've got about 600 projects up and down the country, mm. uh, England, Wales, uh, Scotland, and Northern Ireland, doing a whole variety of different things. And part of the difficulty in, in talking about Action for Children is it's quite a complicated message. There are other organisations that provide immediate overnight shelter for people that are homeless now and today. And that's massively, massively important. By the time you're in that situation, though, you're at a crisis. And what Action for Children's projects try and do is, is intervene earlier. And they do this in lots and lots of different ways. So there's, there's counselling. Um, I met a young man who had a profound impact on me because I, I, I just heard his story and it, it resonated in so many respects. He'd fallen out with his father and his stepmother over something absolutely trivial. I can't even remember what it was, but it was, he, was, he was breaking a rule that his father had made about living, living in the house. This was a young man who was doing four A-levels. He was in a, a, an important relationship to him. He had a Saturday job. He was a, he was a really ordinary teenage lad. And, and he was doing well, and he had this, he'd had this seismic round, and he ended up leaving home, storming out, and, and having you know, a horrific set of circumstances. What Action for Children did was get alongside him and talk to him and help him understand that you know, his father had a right to make rules uh, that wasn't unreasonable, and he should enter into dialogue with him. And they sat down with the dad as well, and they said, look, you know, you said some pretty horrible things about your son, but... He's doing four A-levels. He's got a Saturday job. He's, he's, he's got a long-term girlfriend he's committed to. Do you really think they're true? And just brought them back together. Just simple counselling and reconciliation. And the problem, the problem with public services today is there's so much need that so much of it is focused on the acute emergency end of it. 
And if you can step in and make those interventions earlier, such as that one, the impact you can have is dramatic. And that was one project at the time in South London where Action for Children were making a difference. Referrals from people like teachers, youth workers, a number of people that they could touch Action for Children with. And the impact that kind of intervention has is, is, is massively amplified as the young person grows up and hopefully gets their A-levels gets to university, gets a job, starts a family. You can you can literally change the course of someone's life through an early intervention. And, and that, I suppose, must be incredibly rewarding. I mean, if, if you've been involved in the organisation for 12 years and, and maybe you were intervening and helping someone when they were 16, 12 years ago, they're now kind of approaching their yep. 30th birthday. Uh, you know, you described your own childhood there um, and then you're talking about someone there who... Again, most people probably glance at and go, "Oh, this this person yeah. on the surface, they it's yeah. all it's all there, it's together. They're they're not mm. in, a, in a kind of coming from a from a background that you'd expect there to be a huge amount of difficulty." And then, yet, yeah, ideally, they go on to have successful careers. And you yourself, you know, CIO of an enterprise. Yeah. Uh, so, have you, are there particular kind of cases that you look back at now over the years and go, "Look at how that's turned out." That totally justifies everything that we're doing on the lines I, 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 can, I can think I can think of three actually really really important ones so there was um, there was a, a, a completely different project and again this is this is the, the brilliant and the complicated thing about action for children is the diversity of the work they do and this was a night stop program so this is basically people that have found themselves you know sleeping in a car sleeping on a park bench uh, and as a young person that's a very very dangerous dangerous situation to be in and this is emergency accommodation people who open their houses up to you know to look after people for a very temporary basis this is until state services can be brought into play uh, it's it's literally dark there's nowhere to go and a young person is, is very very vulnerable but they do more than that um, as, as well as as well as giving the young person a bed for the night they try and make a small intervention and and what they did in this young man's case was they sat him down in front of a paper and said look you know You've you, you left education. You need to think about doing what do you fancy doing. Is I quite like cooking. I managed to get him a job as a trainee chef. So the, the problem with being a homeless person is, is you don't have any address. So you, it's very very hard to get your life back on track to claim benefits to um, you know apply for a job to do anything. So by using by using this 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 volunteer's address, they they got him uh, they got an interview. They got him a job. It turned out to be a really great cook. And he came back to buy at night. I think four years later, he now had twins. He was wow. a qualified cook and had twins. And again, that's that's a really, really, really powerful intervention. Much more, um, it's not mundane because these people are in difficult situations, but really important invention is, is, is the way the care system works. If, if, if you're taken into temporary care and there's a possibility that you could go back to your family in, in, in due course, you will be passed around the fostering system. And I say passed around because an awful lot of fostering placements don't actually last very long. They can be nine months or a year. You can be separated from your siblings in, in that period. And it can be a real period of transition. And of course, I've got young children, but not, not very young anymore. I've got, you know, 16 and 18 year old myself. You know, what we provide for our children in terms of support and stability and continuity is really, really important. There are things to do. There are, you know, first relationships to encounter. There are, you know, friendship groups uh, to, to negotiate. There are GCSE choices to make, all, all sorts of things. And if you're going through the fostering system, you know, a bunch of brilliant people that are providing, you know, super first-class 
care, support and shelter. But that continuity thread isn't there. And we've got this um, great organisation that Action for Children are, are you know, run, which is the Independent Visitors. Um, and there's one, there's one in London. And I, I almost hesitate to talk about it because I've already lost two board members that have heard this uh, powerful testimony of young people mm. saying what a difference it made and have actually left the board and become London Independent Visitors. But it's it's basically a continuity thread for you know four, five, six, seven years through a young person's life where it's somebody that they can talk to and hang out with, go to the cinema with, and talk about their GCSE choices and talk about a truculent boyfriend or girlfriend. And it's 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 not a surrogate parent, but it's 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 kind of somebody that's older than them, that's uh, you know been through life, been been through those experiences, and it's a really practical thing to do to somebody whilst they're being well looked after uh, in, in 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 the foster in the foster services. And then there's a really hard end of things. So you know, a, a number of the people we meet are from very very troubled backgrounds, and this is where bite night is absolutely crucial. This 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 last story we met a we met a young girl who had a very very difficult uh, upbringing. Um, her mother's new partner actually killed her mother in front of this young lady. Um, she went back to live with her father, who was a, a, a drug addict, and he had a heroin overdose in front of her. And and uh, this obviously created a number of issues, and it was very, very difficult to find the right people to look after her because she had a lot of needs. She'd been through a huge amount of incredibly traumatic situations. And there's this amazing project called Amaryllis House in West Suffolk run by um, you know one of my favourite project workers. They're all my favourite project workers, but Katie is, 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 is really special. She runs a house. And the house has got, I think, five or six bedrooms uh, and this young person took one of them. And it's, and it, it's injecting, um, it's a new way of living. Uh, these are people that the foster services can't can't accommodate. Um, it's almost certainly impossible. Too late for them for them to be adopted. This 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 young lady was 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 in her mid-teens when this all unfolded. But it's a house and it's a home and it's a normal environment and it's the beginning of someone putting their life back on track. Her story was absolutely incredible. And what happened to the West Suffolk Housing uh, Project or Amaryllis House is that you know there was a funding hiatus and and, and it could have been that the service was shut. It's an incredibly niche service for some of the most um, you know children or young people with the, the the hardest backgrounds in the region, and it was just struggling to make itself felt in in the budget round. What Bite Night was able to do, because our funding is largely unrestricted, it can go on anything that Action for Children are working on, is we were able to step in there and continue the funding and that, that house remains open today because of Bite Night funding. And you think that's where the money we raised by spending one night outside, one night overnight, uh, went. And, and it's an immensely powerful message. So there's a lot of stories. There's some very, very, as I said, mundane things where people need to talk better, some very, very difficult situations. But what's, what's really struck me is in the years I've been involved with Bite Night, the statistics hadn't changed. You, you, you quoted the statistics, 83,000 people. That's about the uh, um, Wembley Stadium full of homeless young people this, this, this year. And that was more or less the same when I got involved 12 years ago. And it is simply because it, it's not about Brexit or funding or austerity. It's about people. And, and around about a third of, of, of people that experience homelessness, as you said, have come out of the care system. It's a hard stop. You know, no matter how well you organize it, you know, provisions change and people become adults. And, and that's when things can go off the rails. And the other two thirds are relationship issues. And, you know, there's no one more complicated on the planet than teenagers. Uh, things happen. Things go very badly wrong, like in the story I was telling you. 
of the young lady in West Suffolk, and things go wrong because people are just being boneheaded and dense and not thinking properly. Do, do you think that people fully appreciate... Because you tell, you tell the story of the teenager who witnessed her mother being killed in front of her, and you can't help but feel awful about that situation, but you almost put a bit of distance and go, yes, but that wouldn't happen to me. Hmm. Do you think that people actually begin to respond better when they realise, actually, some of these things can happen very easily to anybody? Well, yes, and I think what I've, what I've been amazed by is all the people that I have worked with on Bite Night, and there's, you know, there's, there's, there's London board is one of one of 13 boards, so you know, I'm part of a network of you know, 150 people putting these events on around the country. They've all been touched by these issues in some way. Now, some people have directly experienced them. You know, we've had people sit on the board that have spent nights on the street. Uh, some people have known family members. Some people have, have come across a story. But it's amazing how how this is this exists in our society. You know, we've all got a favourite big issue seller. Uh, you know, someone that we you know we see on a, on on a regular basis. Someone we've heard about. Someone we know who fell on hard times. And it's amazing how prevalent it is in in our society. For all for all our, our, our richness and the wealth of opportunities we have, you know these situations exist, and and they are complicated and personal and individual to resolve. And I think that's what Action for Children do is they bring it back down to the point of need, and they try and direct their project resources at mm. individuals in a variety of situations, whether it's an acute need because they've been you know found themselves in a very dark place, or they need a suit for an interview. And they need someone to look after their child while they go and apply for a job. It can be it can be really mundane, but absolutely life changing. Now you mentioned earlier that the twenty second sleep out was coming up. You also mentioned it can sometimes take kind of six months process from mm. signing someone up yeah. to to the sleep out. Is it too late for people to get involved in this year if it's, they wanted to? It's absolutely not too late, and it, and, and this is this is a really really great time time to get involved. So the sleep out itself, the key date is it's on the fourth of October, which is right. It's always I say always, it seems to be always on the first Friday in, in, in October, which is a good time of year to sleep out because it's, uh, it, it, it can be cold and damp, so you get a feeling of it, but it's not the middle of winter when, to be frank, we don't really want, want people, people sleeping out. Now, the sleep out itself is it, it's safe. You know, we, we have a secure area. We, we, we've got to look after people. Sleep. About 1,500 people sleep out nationally. We're hoping you know, 400 or so people will sleep out this year. In London, we're sleeping in Trinity Square Gardens. As I said, there are events up and down the country. All those details are on our website, which is bitenight.org.uk. And if you just search Bite Night, again, spelled B-Y-T-E, um, <laughs> and it'll all be on the show notes, I'm sure, uh, you, 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 can, you can find it. It is a corporate sleep out. We really encourage people to come with their firms. And if an individual wants to sleep out, they're absolutely welcome. But it's a great thing to do as a team. And we've got, we've got some brilliant corporate sponsors who get right behind Action for Children, right behind Bite Night. It's one of a number of things they do for Action for Children, and, and they they send out huge teams and that's great but we also have um have have teams that you know somebody hears one of these stories and it resonates and they build something with their team with their department uh, their division whatever depending on their organization and it's an immensely bonding event uh, we ask people to raise um, around about £1,000 per head. So if you've got a team of five people, it'd be £5,000 contribution. Many firms will fund match what you raise. So an awful lot of our supporters need to get to half that amount. And it's a lot to ask your friends and family and your LinkedIn network. So people do things like um, they might climb a mountain and raise money for it or, or, um, or have a cake sale or run a quiz night or a wine taste or something. So it's a great event to be involved with. I mean, I remember... 
some of the early days when I was doing it at RBS, it was at the, the, the height of the credit crunch, really difficult times, and we were working all hours under the sun. Uh, to, to you know to try and you know put the bank back together and, and recover from a very difficult situation and and this was what we did on the side for fun and and, and this was sort of this defined our team identity it was said we, we, we believe in some things together we'll work together as a team and that stuff we do during the day which is hard and difficult and we're having to say goodbye to colleagues and make some tough decisions you know that's our job and that's what we do but our values and what we believe in are, are, are characterized by this so it's a great thing to do as an organization. Now, I often on the podcast ask people towards the end, hey, what's next? I think on, on this one, it feels appropriate to say, well, if people get involved and they, and they come and sleep out at one of the locations across the country, what's the target that they're helping to contribute towards? What, what is the event hoping to raise this year? So we've, we've managed to break through the million pound a year barrier now for the last four or maybe five years. So yeah. I think Bite Night's raised about 10 million pounds in its 22 year history. First year it was 30 people. They raised a thousand pounds each then. So that was, that was an amazing, amazing sum, sum, sum back then. So we would, we would like to take it on. We're trying to, we're trying to grow Bite Night. Uh, lots of other people are sleeping out now. So uh, it's a much more competitive field than it was, was before. As I said, I think what differentiates us is, is the fact that we are focused on early intervention. So it's absolutely vital that people that are experiencing homelessness tonight are looked after and, and, and that's really 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 important work but it's just as important to try and make sure they don't they don't they don't um, find themselves in that situation just to put it in context I mean some some horrifying these, these are for young people if you are homeless for one night uh, and you've got to think about what that actually means. You know, you're you're alone in a city. You've probably been what they call sofa surfing, which is basically kipping on a mate's sofa, and, and mm. their mum sort of suggested you go home. And you said yes, of course I'll go home tonight, but you don't because you're in this yeah. you're in this relationship breakdown. Um, you 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 find yourself somewhere to sleep. You're almost certainly encroaching on somebody's territory. You know, you're a complete noob on the homelessness you know, scenario. You don't know where you are, what who has rights to it. So you find yourself in a dangerous position almost immediately. One in seven young people who spend one night on the streets will be attacked in some way. If you spend a week there, uh, it's 50-50. You have a one in two chance of being attacked. And 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 in the morning, when on the 5th of October 2019, when all your listeners have completely flooded our, our sleeper venues and overwhelmed us with their massively generous support, you know, we will have been safe and we will have been fed. So let's not pretend that we are, you know, living the life of a homeless person. But that ground is hard. If it's damp, you'll be wet. Um, you'd be sort of wet anywhere. Some years it's, it's rained a lot. Your bones will feel squashed. It takes me most of Saturday to warm up. And that's when I get to go home, have a shower, have a bit of a kip and get up. I'm still feeling, you know, slightly numb around about three or four in the afternoon. If I had to sleep out for that second night, that's why that statistic goes from one in seven to 50-50. You are cold and vulnerable and hungry and tired and young people shouldn't have to go through that. And we spend one night out because we don't want young people to have mm. to spend any nights out. So that's bite night, that's what it is. There's tons of time to get involved. We'd love to see people. BiteNight.org.uk, 4th of October, 2019. Come and be part of something special. Thank you very much for your time and coming in and, and sharing the story. Thank you. Now, one thing I didn't say during the interview is that I know what doing Bite Night is all about because I've done it for six out of the last eight years. You have, and one year you met a guy from Dragon's Den or something, or The Apprentice, wasn't it? No. No? Ed Balls. Ed Balls, that was it. Ed Balls. Strictly. 
Ed Balls is strictly famous. Forget politics. Yeah. Strictly. No, Ed Balls is famous for his tweet. Ed Ball, at Ed Balls, username Ed Balls, tweet Ed Balls. That's what he's... Have you never seen that? The no. Ed, yeah, that's, that's what he's famous for. It's a bit random. No, he's, famous, <laughs> he's surely famous for Gangnam Style more than anything else. Oh, I mean, I don't watch Strictly, as listeners will know, but yeah, mm. even I know that. He was lovely, because at the time, my wife was in hospital, because mm-hmm. she just had a gallbladder taken out. Mm. I walked up to him, and I said, could I take a photo of you? And this was at the Bite Night event. Yeah. Sorry, we'll get back onto series. <laughs> I said, Ed... Could I have a photo with you? My wife is a massive Strictly fan. This will make her night. She's in hospital. And he said, oh, no, hang on. If she's in hospital, what's her name? Oh. Um, did a video with me. What? Yeah, such a nice guy. God, I'd vote for him for Prime Minister in a heartbeat. Uh, let's not get... Well, actually, polling stations are open. Get embargo, out. embargo. Have you voted today? I'm voting after work. I am voting yeah, after work. Yeah. But we're, you know, broadcasting rules. We're not allowed to talk about uh, elections whilst uh, the polls are open. Oh shit, okay, well. Uh, embargo. Right. Embargo. I don't think that we probably count. No, I think, no. no I'd I like to thought. pretend that we count. Let's not talk about it just in case. Yeah, we're, <laughs> on, we're on the same level as BBC and ITV and Sky. If yeah. not higher. Absolutely. Anyway, back to Bite Night. Mm. Look, um, what you do get a sense of when you're, when you're there, and Alistair phrases it very well, it, you wake up that, that first morning. Mm. And you feel genuinely like shit. Yeah. Because you haven't really slept. And you don't have any of the dangers that people on the streets actually have. You are not, uh, uh, you know, one in seven at risk of something seriously nasty happening yeah. to you on that evening. Yeah. You've had a pleasant evening with uh, a three-course meal and a charitable quiz and maybe having a, a video selfie with Ed Balls. Yeah. But you're still waking up feel, feel like feeling like shit. Mm. Um you still feel cold yep. and ache, and that's with everything else that I just mentioned there surrounding it. So if you didn't have those home comforts and you did have the very real risk of something quite nasty happening to you, mm. one can only imagine how awful it is for so many people. I mean, I, this just shows how pathetic I am as a person. I never really was up for the bite night thing, to be honest, because, I mean, I was telling you before we came online, I struggle to sleep in a hotel room when I'm away from my girlfriend, let alone out on the street. So, I mean, my levels of sympathy just grow and grow. And the stories that Alistair talks about, I mean, I, yeah, I cried. Of course I did. They're ridiculously harrowing stories, but... He brings it back with beautiful outcomes, right? Especially when he talks about Amarillo's house and how, you know, Action for Children and Bite Night really help fund that and make sure that sort of halfway house, foster home really works and, you know, continues to improve lives. I think as well, the fact that he himself talks about the fact that his mother was an alcoholic. Mm. He, he himself, whilst having had a very successful career, mm. didn't necessarily have the easiest of upbringing by yeah. the sounds of it. And he downplays it. Yeah, I felt he was very understated in the way that he talked about his own background but that can't have been easy no. and I think there's a really strong message there for everyone which is you look at you look at people who've been very successful you have no idea what adversary they may have faced Yeah, yeah. and therefore just because there's someone on the street and they're young mm. don't assume mm that they don't have the potential mm. to be an executive yep. or on the board yep. of, of a large um, organisation and be doing some good. And I think when we see people, you walk past them, you ignore them, you somehow filter it out and imagine that they don't have 
the, well, the same potential that everyone else has, and and it's a, you do you do people on the street a huge disservice. Well, you do filter it out. You, we are desensitised to it, wrongly so. But as as Alistair says, you know, since bite night came around, these numbers haven't reduced or increased or anything. You know, they've kind of plateaued in homelessness. But so we're so used to it in London and in every major city, we see these people, you know, and try give change or whatever and stuff like that it's, it's good but at the end of the day your change is only going to go so far that the money needs to go to well-oiled established organizations that have got care at the heart of what they do and bite night is that typified yeah and look action for children are a charity that many people are familiar with and mm. do do amazing amazing work yeah yeah and um look this this Obviously, we normally talk about technology and the issues facing technology leaders. This is a little bit different, but this is an issue that faces society as a whole. Yep. And it is an invitation for industry to come together. I know it's industry as a whole now, but mm. traditionally, it was the technology industry. And mm -hmm. if you are a technology industry leader who listens to this show, it's one night of the year. Yep. You could get involved. It's a brilliant networking event, actually. So <laughs> there's, there's some business reason there, but you will be you will be doing something that can make a tangible difference to people. And that's hugely compelling. Uh, yeah, just I mean, I will donate when you go and sleep out. Um, you know, we're fast becoming a really, really good CSR-led podcast, aren't we? Alive and kicking, good friends of the show, run the half marathon for them. You sleeping out for bite night. You're also running around some mountains and stuff. That's for charity as well, right? That is for bite night. For that bite is night. Part of the bite night hey, effort. Hey, look at that. So then... mentioning it. Yes, no, in September, and I will bang on about this in a couple of months' time, folks. I will be asking for sponsorship. I have deliberately not gone out to my friends and family yet asking for any sponsorship for uh, on an individual basis mm, this year mm. because I'm running a marathon <laughs> yeah. up a six and a half thousand foot mountain yeah. so 26 miles and six and a half thousand foot uphill at the same time I mean I'm, four by night I'm already looking for a contingency plan to, to find a host if you don't make it back there's a, there's a strong possibility there is there is um God, we might have to get producer the rider on. <laughs> <laughs> what would you put on the job description? Um, are you a, a faux northern egomaniac who cries when he's not added in a tweet about tech talks? If so, you're perfect to host the show. Are you able to buy Jack Pierce coffee <laughs> twice a week? <laughs> yeah? Yeah, that's fine, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, it's not coffee today, is it? All right, tea. Moroc tea. Moroccan mint tea. Mor oh, yeah, Moroccan yeah. mint tea. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, um, Alistair, thank you for being a fantastic, mm. fantastic guest. But let's go to our advert break. Navigating the technology talent market is tough. Thankfully, Harvey Nash are on hand to help. A specialist recruitment and professional services firm with over 30 years worth of experience, they specialise in areas such as BI and data analytics. Additionally, in June, they're publishing their 21st CIO survey the largest global technology leadership survey with over four and a half thousand participants. If you want more info about this survey, jointly published with KPMG, simply email the phrase techtalkcio to info at harveynash.com and we'll make sure someone is in touch. Welcome back to the show. Uh, right, we're going to have a bit of fun. We've got news first mm. and then Producer Ryder has supplied, supplied, supplied us with an envelope with our names on it. Yeah, in his gorgeous handwriting. Let's see what's inside the envelope. But first, kangaroo. I know what you're going to say, yeah. Kangaroo. I saw this in the next web today, and I think it's flipping brilliant. And I'll tell you why I think it's flipping brilliant. Go on. Uh, in Paris last week, 
there were scooters, lime scooters everywhere. Wow. And I hadn't, no, I hadn't realised it had taken off in quite such an extent. Mm. And I just assumed that, yeah, bicycles are one thing. Scooters, are they really going to take off? If scooters can take off like that, pogo sticks can definitely take off. Just before we dive into the pogo, or jump into the pogo <laughs> sticks, I should say, are they using their lift scooters around the Arc de Triomphe, where literally you could die at any minute going around that roundabout? I just think this is more than it's worth. They're everywhere. It was in Nashville as well, but Nashville was so disparate and empty that it was fine. And they're electric as well. They, yeah, yeah. they go at pace, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are fast. Anyway, so Kangaroo is a pogo stick sharing startup that hails from Stockholm, Sweden. Mm. It operates on the same basis as Bird and Lime, with users paying based on their usage. The main difference is pogo sticks. How, I just. So how quickly are you going to get around on a pogo stick? Mickelson insists, and I love this line because the question was, hang on a minute, is this a joke? When you know that you have to insist that it's a real venture, <laughs> then you know that people are going, really? I mean, Pogo sticks? Well, it's a good marketing campaign if everyone thinks it's a joke. Well, this is it. So eyebrows were raised. Um, the company owned by ODD, a branding and communications agency. Okay. So that added to the layer of incredulity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> word I can't say. Incredulity. Not even can I? There we go. But they, they say that they wanted to create a shared mobility product that didn't feel too generic. Mm-hmm. And apparently, in Sweden, pogo sticks are a real thing. So a lot of people in Sweden have pogo sticks as children. We see them. We see the people using them as adults. And um, it's basically, it's. Uh, I suppose they don't take up a lot of space, and it's a solution for the last mile of transport. I. It's bad enough on the paths as it is with scooters, bikes, tourists, people. What's the turning circle of a pogo stick like? Pretty easy, I'd imagine. You jump and shift, right? And imagine the arc would be quite wide. Johnny, this is dangerous as well, though, right? We have, do we get helmets provided with it? Doesn't say. I can just see it now, people pogoing over Abbey Road's um, zebra crossing. Where would be the best place to pogo in central London? Um off Tower Bridge into the river if I'm being honest that's where you can all go with your pogo sticks that's not very um, upbeat or South Bank South Bank nice big open oh, paths no, no big no. open paths no that would just do my head in because no this isn't don't go on pedestrianised str- no this is what's going to happen when you see people running at lunchtime along the South oh, Bank I know you like, hate what this what yeah. is wrong with you yeah, right. run in the morning run in the evening don't get pissed off with people blocking your run at lunchtime on South Bank, you did this, moron. Did this happen to you, did it, Dave? It often happens if you walk along there. It's just frustrating. But yeah, I mean, we're gonna if we've got a highway cycle path, you're going to need a highway pogo path and a highway scooter pogo path. path. Pogo path. I just... Pogo I mean, superhighway. I just think this is going to be more dangerous than, than anything, but, you know, we, so need, Jack, we need a new Jack, plague in London, so let's have it. <laughs> Jack, kangaroo, not a fan. Kangaroo Jack. Kangaroo Jack, let's get Kangaroo on the show. Kangaroo, <laughs> if, if you listen, which you might do because we're going to DM you, <laughs> come on the show, talk to us about your pogo sticks. Persuade me. Right, tell you what, if, if you come on the show, Kangaroo, I will take one of your pogo sticks and I'll, I'll commute to work on it. That's Limehouse to Victoria. Fuck me, that's too far, actually. So if, if, we, get, if yep. we get Kangaroo on the show... Yep. You will road test a, a, yeah, a pogo yeah. from Limehouse no. to Victoria. Let's just say Limehouse to your office, because that's just down Commercial Road for me. I will pogo in, and we will record the show after a pogo down Commercial Road. There you go. Deal. Deal. Kangaroo, we're going to send this to you. We want Jack to do that. Right. I have Ryder following me on a on, on a Boris bike video in the journey. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. We're going to go now to our cross-platforming. 
both for the, for the podcast and this is going to be for video. Yeah. We have an envelope. It has Jack and Dave on it. Here we go. Opening the envelope. Oh, what's the subject this week? Yes. Virtual reality. Yes. Virtual reality. Right, okay. Um, I, I think virtual reality is most interesting when it comes to travel. I think, oh! So, obviously, yes, there's, there's the whole gaming industry, which is interesting, but that's, that's less obvious than uh, travel. I would never think to go on a cruise, but maybe if I had a virtual reality tour around a cruise ship, I might have a slightly different perception of it. Okay. Or maybe if I wanted to go to Spain and book a villa, um, I might be concerned about what the layout or configuration is of that villa. Well, Using virtual reality, you can have a tour, a virtual tour of, say, um, a holiday destination and feel, you know what, this is going to suit my needs, the rooms are in the right place, actually I quite like it. Whereas photos, you know, don't quite do it justice. That would help book holidays. More than that, mm. virtual reality in a state agency. Have you ever noticed that photos on houses when you're renting or looking to buy a house always make everywhere look weirdly big or weirdly small? Or the lighting shit? Use a fisheye lens, didn't they, or something like I that? I could imagine virtual reality on a rental mm. lettings platform oh. being incredible. So I think, you know, if you're Purple Bricks or whoever else, or Settled, yeah. get virtual reality in your proposition. Yeah. How much easier would it be letting flats? And also, it's quite difficult sometimes to view a flat. You're busy, you can't get there after work as quickly as you'd like. I think you've got something there, Dave. Right, what you got? What have I got on virtual reality? Well, obviously, I love Westworld. That's an amazing thing. But I think, I think if you're gonna, if you're gonna fully get on board with virtual reality, then you need to use it for good. And I think you know, you you talk about holidays and stuff like that. But we're we're so focused at the moment, or the show so focused at the moment on charity and charitable donations. Let's 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 show some people some really harrowing scenes, and also alternatively, where their money goes. Via virtual reality, right? Mm. So alive and kicking, Ben and Eddie, if you're listening, let's have a virtual reality view of the football match, the classroom. We can really then, because again, like you say, we see videos and pictures and things like that, but you know that doesn't feel as real as being there, right? So if we could pop on virtual reality and be immersed into this, you know, mental health class in Kenya or Nairobi or whatever, then I think that will only help raise money for for places like this. And you think bike night as well. I'm too scared to come and camp out because I won't sleep all night. I could put a virtual reality headset on, see you guys doing it, cheer you on, and all the rest of it, and yeah, <laughs> from the comfort of my own. But it defeats the object a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that, that does. does. I'm yeah. not sure about that one. But for charities, I think your Oxfams, your Cancer Centrals, and stuff like that, use virtual reality to really show the good you're doing and show what you're trying to improve on. I think one other thing though to add. I think headsets are a massive blocker yeah. to its wider adoption. It's got to be through a mobile device, which means that the 5G network has has to basically... 5G is so important to Coming. actually making these technologies come, mm. come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. And it can't rinse your data as well, because no one will do it on the move then. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Easy. Anyway, there we go. That's virtual reality. Done. Um, thank you very much for listening to the show. Yes. Alistair, thanks for being a guest. Yes, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Have a happy Whitson Bank holiday. Yeah.